Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're very welcome to another episode of the Scaling Your Business podcast. For this episode, we are joined by Tom Glasson, the co-founder and CEO at Scalewise. Tom, you're very welcome to the show. Oh, great to be here, Rianne. Thanks for having me. Great to have you, Tom. Typical fast of the show, we spend the first couple of minutes getting to know the guest, and then we jump into all the good stuff. From what I can see, you went to uni in Gloucester. Gloucestershire. Gloucestershire. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I, I knew I'd mispronounced that when I saw it. I can say it in my head. I just went, it comes out of your... A good attempt. Yeah, no, yeah. you were nearly there. It, is that where you grew up? No, it's not where I grew up. No, I have a strange grow up, growing up kind of background story. So I actually was born in Devon, um, but I only spent six, six months, I suppose, of my life there. And then I spent my first four years of my life in Malaysia. Wow. And then the kind of from four to, to eight in Singapore. So I grew up in Southeast Asia, really, for those, those early formative years. And, uh, and then I landed in Leicester, strangely, when I, was, when I was eight. Okay, so I've never been to Devon, but... Mall accounts is a beautiful part of the world. You're actually not too far from it if you still live around that area. Um, I'm assuming I'm you're, you're, yeah, you're, I'm, in Le- I'm in Leicestershire now. You're so in, so you've when you came back at eight, you've stayed in Leicestershire since pretty much. Yeah, um, I mean, we, I spent 12 years in Bristol, uh, which is where my, my kids were born. Uh, so I've been I've roamed around a bit, I think it's fair to say, but I've landed back in Leicestershire, which is kind of like my I suppose my my home, uh, certainly from the age of eight to 17, 18, it was. Well, it, it, it could have been my home. I was actually born there and left at the age of two years old because my parents are Irish and they came back to live in Ireland. So I was raised in Ireland, but born in Leicestershire. Um, there you go. So tell me this. I've, I've now found out where you grew up. You spent some of your childhood in Southeast Asia and you're back in Leicestershire now. But you studied sports psychology at uni. But if people were to look at your title and particularly the last kind of two decades of your work... Mm they might be confused because it's all sales related or marketing related or entrepreneur led. So why did you decide to pick sports psychology? Well, I don't think anyone goes to uni thinking I'm going to, I'm going to become a salesperson, right? It just doesn't happen. Certainly uh, not back in 1999 when I went to uni anyway. So I, you know, I, I was a keen sports person. I, I, I really enjoyed playing all sports. Uh, racket sports was my thing though, growing up. Um, and when I went to uni, I wanted to study something that I was passionate about and, and sports and sports psychology in particular was something that I had a real interest in. Um, I think I'd learned through playing a lot of sport as a child and, and through my early adulthood that a lot of it was a mental game. Um, you know, of course, you've got to put in the hours, you've got to put in the practice, you've got to work on your technique. But actually, if you could control your mindset, both in game and pre and post, actually that made a big difference. And so sports psychology was, was just something I was passionate about. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to study something that at least when I get up in the morning and I head into a lecture, I actually want to be there versus a lot of my mates at uni that kind of didn't want to be there, uh, but enjoyed the, the, the piss up as it was. Uh, so yeah, that was sports psychology. And actually it lends itself really well to sales. Um, and this is something that I think I've learned through my, my career, my sales career is that you know, selling is very much like a sport. You know, you, you're dealing with wins, losses, rejection, you know, managing that mental state, putting in the practice and the hours, you know, developing new skills. And, and for me, you know, actually that, that transition from sports psychology to sales, I think has, has served me really well. 
so post university, you jumped into some sales roles. A couple of questions around that before I get into the sales led questions. How did you find out one that you uh, had a knack for sales or, or 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 were good at sales? And and before that, how did you even end up in sales straight out of sports psychology? Because most people would go into a, a job related to what they stood. Well, not most people. Some people would. I didn't, but some people do. Yeah, well, I think kind of how did I realize I had a knack? I think when I look back to my childhood, I think selling was kind of in my blood from quite a young age, to be honest. My, my, probably my earliest memory of doing deals is when I was about eight or nine when I first moved to, to the UK. And I, I used to collect those kind of panini sticker cards. Um, and I had a pretty good knack of kind of trading my unwanted cards for, for sweets in the playground. And um, I think I was pretty successful at it, actually, looking at the photos of me at that age where I was, I was pr- pretty chubby. Um, but then I think as I, as I kind of transitioned through school, I got to 16, I was like, ah, I want to make some money. I really felt the need, but I also wanted to win. I, I've always had a desire to kind of compete and win, I think. And, and when all my friends started um, uh, going to uni after college, I decided that I wanted to take a year out and earn some money uh, in, in a sales role. So I ended up joining... British Gas, big supplier, obviously, of energy and heating in the UK. I was in a massive call centre in, in Leicester, actually. Um, but there was all these call centres dotted around the UK. And I think there was like 800 reps, all selling kind of boiler service contracts. Um, you know, one big national leaderboard. Uh, and, you know, the top 10 performers uh, each quarter, you know, off, often got some really nice rewards and trips. And, and I, uh, and I kind of quickly worked out that it was a pure numbers game. It was all about the number of dials you could make, um, but also what time you got into the office made a difference in terms of getting those connects as well. Uh, so I used to get in early. I used to get in early. I used to stay late. Um, and I think just my work rate, um, and maybe a little bit of skill, but probably predominantly my work rate meant I did really well. Uh, I was there for a year, that year kind of between college and uni. And in three of the four quarters, uh, I ended up finishing in the top 10 nationally. Like um, I, I was only 18, but I want some incredible trips to Amsterdam and Paris and, and Rome. And, you know, it was kind of five star hotels, all expenses. And, and because I was only 18, um, I think that really is what cemented my love of sales and, you know, winning deals, making money. That first sales job. Amazing. You, you, you've listened to some previous episodes and prep for this, you told me via email. Um, and if you have, you'll, you'll know that I like to dive into previous roles. Mm. Um, if you see me look to the right of my screen, I'm just reading some notes, some pointers. Um, you spent over five and a half years at Bright Pearl is the role that I want to start with. Yeah. You started as a sales director there and you worked your way up to SVP of global sales. Mm. So I've got a few questions here. One was, what was your transition like from director, which I'm assuming kind of like frontline manager, into leadership any challenges or obstacles that you came up against that you're happy to talk about absolutely yeah and i think that my time at bright pearl was was so formative in terms of me as a leader um shaping how i thought about SaaS sales um how i thought about coaching team members and ultimately how i thought about building building businesses and you know at the highest level in terms of unit economics and you know, go to market strategy. And, and you know, I think I was really lucky. I, I landed in a company that had just raised its Series A from, from Notion. Um, I'd come off the back of probably the, the most awful three-year stint in an enterprise sales role at a company called Atos, where I w- won't go into for you with the detail, but 
you know, I, I left that role highly stressed, you know, probably at, at the edge of my um, uh, anxiety levels. I had the worst boss, like just the worst boss you could possibly imagine. Um, and uh, and I, yeah, I ended up getting signed up with stress. But I, a guy that I met whilst I was at Atos was the founder of Brightfile, a guy called Andy Mulvena. Um, and he spotted in me someone that he thought would be a kind of scrappy early sales hire for him. <laughs> someone that's willing to roll their sleeves up, which you have to, right? When you're getting in early. I mean, there was a team of like two, two sales reps there when I joined. Um, so I was really, you know, I was rep number three doing the deals um, going out there. But I think, I think actually that experience I had, those three years at Atos, as, as horrific as they were, I think they shaped a lot of what I became as a leader in terms of how I wanted to lead teams. And I basically wanted to be the polar opposite of the boss that I, I was going to say, how you didn't want to lead teams was to do exactly yeah. what he or she had done. Exactly, exactly. And I, I, I think I realized just the massive impact that leaders can have on their team members' lives, you know, both inside and outside of work, quite frankly. There's a ripple effect. And it certainly was the case for me when I was... Uh, facing that that boss it, it impacted my relationships my friends my sleep like you name it so I kind of went on a personal mission to be the best leader that I could ever be and that people would want to shelf for work for that I could be that positive ripple effect that would transcend positivity for three people's lives and so I I, I very quickly um, in that in that role a started to get hold of the, the kind of two guys that were in my team and, and really supported them, coached them, but whilst carrying a quota as well, which is always challenging. You're trying to be a leader and a, well, you're a player manager. And I have sympathy for anyone, by the way, that has player manager responsibility in a team of more than six, because that, by the way, that's a really tough role to do well. Um, but I was lucky that I was tasked with building the team quickly. So uh, I went from two reps to six reps to 10 reps within the space of probably six months, eight, eight months or something. Um, which meant I had to then put in my, my kind of leadership layer underneath me. Um, you know, so I, I was very lucky. My first sales hire, a guy called Stuart Pick, absolute legend, still at Brightpile now, 11 years later, uh, as, as VP sales. But I, I hired him as my first AE. Um, and, and I was really, really lucky with, with Stu because he became then my, my sales director as I became the VP of sales. Um, and it was, all about, it was all about coaching and developing other leaders for me. Um, and so how can I take what I've learned about being a leader? And by the way, I was a leadership geek, helped by the fact that my wife uh, is a leadership development consultant for her careers. Um, and so how can I take what I'd learned as a leader and impart that knowledge, that experience uh, and coach other leaders? And that's essentially what I did whilst also, you know, trying to, where possible, hire people that were better than me. You know, and that was, uh, that was a key just, a, I think, a key theme throughout my career over the last, you know, 20 years. Um, mm. And I can talk about Revenue Collective as well, which has been another massive influence and impact on me as a leader and my career more broadly. I'm, I'm going to get to Revenue Collective in a minute. I've got one more question from your time at Bright Pearl that leads nicely into what you've been speaking about. Um, when I talk to VPs or, or, or frontline directors who, who manage teams, there's a couple of topics that come up that they say, uh, you know, there's a drop-off or people aren't engaged. And two of them that come to my mind are VPs have said when they mention accountability or role play, there seems to be a massive drop-off. So what have you seen that when done right, take role play, like weekly role play sessions uh, or accountability, 
building accountability partners within a team of SDRs where one SDR is held accountable to another SDR, held accountable to another SDR. What have you seen that like there's a negative impression on accountability, potentially storytelling or uh, role play that when done right in a company can have a huge difference on that team hitting target? Yeah, and I, and I can tell you lots of stories about um, accountability and, and personal responsibility um, generally. But I'll start with the role play piece because this is something that I am passionate about and have been actually for, for a long time uh, with teams that I've led. Um, you know, I, I, I believe and I'm a great believer that it is all about purposeful practice. You, you get better at skills, you, you become better in your role, better at sport if you practice purposefully. There's a great book, by the way, called Bounce by Michael Syed, which talks about the 10,000 hour rule. Um, and that really talent is a myth. It's all about purposeful practice, putting in the hours. And so role play is a really important part of that. Um, because in role play, you, you, you get to try things out. You know, you're in a safe environment um, and you get, to, you get to really go through the motions of what you would be doing when you're on the call, but in a way that hopefully other people, you know, that are in that role play can learn from as well. So every week, every week without fail, we would do our our role plays as a team. And we do the whole black hat, white hat thing. Mark Reverge talks about it in his book, The Sales Acceleration Formula. So, um, you know, we would be, uh, so one person would be providing positive feedback. Another one would be providing constructive feedback on that role play. So it's not all down to me. You know, that's kind of giving them responsibility to, to, to learn as peers, to coach as peers, to develop each other. I would chime in, you know, when I felt it was required, but this is about creating a team coaching environment and a peer-to-peer coaching environment which is so important for culture so you know we would we would uh, we would do that consistently every wednesday afternoon uh and we would rotate the black hats and the white hats we would rotate the role players um, but it became a really important part of our culture and actually quite good fun you know we'd always get pizzas in and a few beers and it was it was after work typically so you know for me role plays is, is fundamental it should be a part of an interview process uh, multiple times if possible and it should be a part of your onboarding of reps and your continuous development of them, whether you're an SDR or an AE, like full stop. Before I get to Scalewise, I've noticed that Bright Pearl wasn't your only role before Scalewise. You've been part of, and particularly leadership roles in a number of other organizations that have been in that kind of scale-up phase. And I know there's a lot of growing pains in companies that, that you've been in and others in similar uh, size have been in. What's a common grown pain that you experience in any of the companies that you've worked in that you're happy to talk about how you tackled it? Yeah, I, I think the number one growing pain, quite frankly, is, is um, related to unit economics um, and scaling your sales and marketing efforts uh, capital efficiently. You know, if I think back through um, not, not just the companies that I've worked in, but the, you know, the companies that uh, we support now through Scalewise, there is a... Um, unfortunate belief that to scale sales uh, you just need to load in headcount of reps so if you've got a 10 million target let's just get 10 reps give them a million quota and let's have this top-down driven kind of I suppose business plan business model Um, what is often forgotten is the inputs that need to go in Um, but what is also typically forgotten is how important it is to manage that cost of acquisition relative to that payback from that client or that lifetime value from that client. And the mistake I see consistently made is that as soon as that series A lands or that series B lands, 
is a huge amount gets spent on loading up heads into the team. And that might be the sales team. It could be the marketing team. It could be both. But without the focus on, well, what is our cost of acquisition? Are we being capital efficient? You know, are we getting a reasonable payback on our cost of serve and, and, and sales? Um, and unfortunately, when that doesn't go well, then it ends up with layoffs. It ends up with, um, you know, down rounds. It ends up with uh, sometimes even, you know, that, that next round of funding not being there uh, and companies going bust. So, you know, it's a, it's a massive mistake. It has big impacts. And so it, it's a really important part of that scaling journey. Mission scale-wise there. So now's probably a good time to tell people what scale-wise is. I'm not the CEO, you are, so the mic is yours. Yeah, well, I mean, we haven't talked much about Pavilion and Revenue Collective as it were. Sure. But through building the London chapter of Pavilion, and I I founded the chapter back in 2018, um, really to scratch my own itch, right? Because I wanted to network with other revenue leaders and and learn from them, share my challenges with them. and just find a safe space to talk through the, you know, the, the, the challenges in role. But through building the community, and we've now got over 700 members in London, um, you know, I suppose I recognize we just had some exceptional talent in the group, you know, serial VPs, CROs, and people that I thought, you know, could be really useful um, to, to startups that maybe lacked the right scaling expertise internally. So I wanted to find a way of unlocking that expertise uh, to help really many more companies scale in the right way. Because as, a, as I said, there's a lot out there that really struggle to scale and, and hit some, some serious bumps in the road. So, but I also realized the other thing I, I kind of saw was that there's a ton of revenue leaders now who actually want to build a more kind of flexible portfolio career, um, you know, rather than kind of putting in blood, sweat and tears into a, into a single startup with quite frankly, pretty shitty job security and, and possibly even shitty equity as well. Um, and, you know, we know how kind of tenuous the, the VP uh, sales role is. It's like now down to 17 months, I think, as a, as a kind of stat in terms of average tenure. So I could see that there are all these really experienced revenue leaders who wanted to advise or coach or, or consult or build a fractional career, which gives them that flexibility and, and kind of less stress than being full time employed. But I think part of the, the challenge for these experienced leaders is, is how and when to take that first step from full time employment to to a portfolio career, it can, I suppose it can seem like quite a daunting um, task, giving up that salary and um, you know, having to find enough work whilst balancing business development and, uh, and contracts and invoicing and payments and everything else. So, so we created Scalewise really, just to, I suppose, to unlock that talent and to give C to Series C, B2B tech startups, flexible access to, to world-class revenue expertise to help them accelerate growth. And that could be anything from you know, a few hours a month of what we call scale coaching from an experienced, you know, revenue leader right the way through to providing with maybe a fractional or interim leader, such as a world-class CMO or VP of sales um, who can work in their business, you know, for one, two or or three days a week. Um, So yeah, that's what we do. And we take care of things like, you know, business development, contracts, invoicing Mm -hmm. on behalf of what we call our scale experts. So they don't have to, to worry about that stuff. And it's, you know, I would say we've only been going two years, but it's been amazingly satisfying um, just supporting those those revenue leaders that probably reach a certain age like me and want to step off that that full time employment hamster wheel, and we've kind of given them the the ability to do that, monetizing their expertise alongside their day job, even because we've got a lot of people that are still in role as a VP or a CMO or CRO, and they're kind of doing this as a side hustle outside their their day job. And so, you know, genuinely 
you know, sharing their um, expertise, I think really fulfills them as well. Incredibly smart. Uh, I will leave links to both Pavilion and Scalewise in the, wherever you're listening or watching this, in the comment field below. Um, I've noticed a number of top sales leaders actually have, it's called Pavilion, it was called Revenue Collective, correct? It was, yeah. In their uh, LinkedIn bio, as you may call it, Tom Castley, one of the, one of the uh, top of sales leaders in, in London. Great guy. He has it in his bio. There's a couple other other phenomenal leaders who, who I've uh, been connected with who I've noticed in their bio as well. So if all of them can vouch for it and you can vouch for it as well, surely it's uh, it's something if you're a leader to take a look at by clicking the link in the comment field below. Um, so two topics that are kind of uh, big at the moment in that world, leaving from Pavilion and Scalewise are both hiring and coaching. So I've got a question on each. So mm. from the coaching part, and I noticed, um, Kunta said, if you wanted, that you're an advisor for Jiminy, one of those kind of call recording AI technology companies. And I'm a huge believer in call recording, regardless of the company you decide to use for coaching. Um, the question here is, in your eyes, how do you think uh technology a piece of a tool like Jiminy is used to get the best out of both sales reps and sales leaders so that they can obviously perform better so how can it be used or why should it be used which which what, what do you want to why should it be used so why someone that doesn't use it but coaches their sales reps they're obviously going to get an added benefit from using a tool like this from saving time to getting better insights yeah, yeah, I think that the number one thing that a tool like Jimily does or, or Gong or, you know, there's others out there is it gives you a way, a really simple way to um, see what's exactly happening within, within the deals that your reps are working on. And what I mean by that is everything is being recorded. Everything is being transcribed. Um, and, and quite frankly, it's, it becomes a really, really quick and easy way of then coaching those reps because you can dive straight into... The Jiminy dashboard. You can search for keywords like competitor words, uh, objections, and you can dive right into that segment of the call and, and listen to actually what was said, um, and, and and then maybe coach around what they could have said or what they could have done differently. So, so I think the primary point is it makes coaching easy. And I think back to pre-Jiminy days when I was at, at Bright Pearl. Um, you know, if I was going to coach a rep, I would often li- sidling up next to them. You know, plugging my headphones into their phone as well, you know, and, and, and sitting there like side by side and then waiting to the end of the call and then, and then kind of like trying to review the call with them. Uh, you know, I'd be scribbling down notes on a, on a Google Doc or whatever. But I think the beauty of what Jiminy and Gong and other tools do is that you can do that in your own time. So I could be in the car, I could be, you know, uh, on the toilet, you know, wherever I want to be, I can dive into what my reps are doing. And then I've got a really nice interface where I can start putting notes in there. I can tag people. I can give credit, I can give a thumbs up, I can, I can even create a scorecard and start scoring them against certain criteria within my playbook. So it just makes coaching easy. Uh, and went back to that kind of role play stuff as well, the black hat, white hat, you know, we can bring Jiminy calls in, you know, rather than it being a role play, this week we're gonna listen to a call. So I, I think for, for me, it's, if there's one tool that a sales team needs in their tech stack that, that perhaps they don't have, um, it is a cool coaching platform. And that can be any, any of Jiminy Gong or Refract or Chorus. Um, they're all great tools. For sure. So hiring uh, a, a 
big topic at the moment because of what some people might call the great resignation. Um, but there's a there's a stat that I want to want to throw at you, and then a question. So, in 2020, 100 billion dollars was raised between European tech startups. Mm. Eight thousand companies got somewhere between two to fifty million in investment. That's a lot of companies looking to scale and grow. Therefore, looking to hire people. So the demand for people is 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 at a real high, but the supply of or the availability of top sales talent is not reaching or equaling the demand. So there's a lot of leaders and company owners out there struggling whether to retain or even find, and let's go on the latter part, find and source top sales talent. Mm-hmm. And that could be because you might, you know, outsource your hiring to an agency who have 50 to 60 clients. And when a real top sales rep comes along, they might decide to give it to someone else because they're being paid more by this sort of co- uh, competitor. And you're not even seeing that. So in your eyes, how can kind of the scale up companies that decide to leverage scale-wise, how can they uh, put themselves in a better position so that when top talent does come around, they can attract more of it or they can go out there and be able to find top talent so that they're not one of the kind of forgotten figures of the 8,000. They're one of the 8,000 that like, you know, uses the investment and continues to grow. Yeah, it's a really good point. And I think we are at a, a crazy kind of phase of the funding market cycle. I mean, you talk about the amount of investment that, that's going in, but the round sizes are getting so big as well. Like a, a series A now is like a series B was, you know, um, probably 10 years ago. They're just getting bigger and bigger. So that's putting huge pressure on companies, um, you know, that need to scale faster because the bigger the check size, the bigger the growth expectations typically. Um, but also the amount of companies that are being funded means that there is, as you say, massive competition for talent. And there is a, there's a, there is a supply crisis, I think, um, within tech at the moment. And, and I was just coming off a call with, um, with Kate Lewis, who's my Manchester uh, Pavilion chapter head, and she's trying to hire like three SDRs and two AEs, and she's just, uh, and I hear it t- every day, like everyone is struggling. So how do you fix it? Well, I think, I think one of the ways that, that I think you need to, you need to be looking internally more, more often than not for, for the solution. Um, so, you know, I, I think there's a, there's a big challenge right now in terms of hiring senior people, um, you know, people with experience. And so how can you find someone internally and support them to level up so you don't need that senior person to come in? Um, and that's really a, a lot of what we're trying to do at Scalewise is, is providing expertise, people that have been there that are more senior, that can support those perhaps more junior people to step into that next role. Um, so you're not always looking externally for the, for the senior hire. And we've got some great examples of that. We had a head of marketing last year, um, but it was the CEO that came to us about their head of marketing. Um, you know, they were, they really needed a CMO. They've been looking to hire a CMO for nine months. Um, they struggled as everyone is to hire CMOs. Um, and they said to us, look, can you get us a CMO coach that can support uh, this lady? She's got great potential. She's just not at the level. She's not been there, done that. And so we, we worked with her over a period of three or four months um, you know, it was a few hours of coaching, uh, you know, a month. And what was awesome to see is that this uh, woman went from head of marketing. She then got promoted to CMO six months later. Uh, they ended up doing their biggest quarter um, out of the US as well. Uh, and quite frankly, what that message that sends to the team internally is that we develop our people yeah. and we help them 
to level up. And I just think there's no better message than that when you're trying to attract talent as well. So if you're thinking about going out to the market, what a great story to tell that you can say, well, this is how many people we've promoted. This is how many people have you know, been with the company and, and, and moved on to the next uh, role, the next challenge. And quite funny, that's, that's what people want in their role. They want to be pushed. They want to be challenged. They want autonomy. They want mastery. They want purpose, right? So I think if you can invest in people in that way, help them level up, hopefully you're slightly less reliant on going to the open market to find new people. You're always going to have to find new people, but if you can reduce your, I suppose, your, your sights on how senior, how experienced they need to be, it becomes easier. And then you can support them with a coach, you know, via Scalewise or any other method to, to help them level up. But I think the other thing I would say is, is you know, in this current market, you've got to be really creative um, about how you attract talent. And I think there's, um, you know, there's companies that I think now are, are doing some interesting things around benefits and um, obviously flexibility is a big thing in terms of where you allow them to work from. I was talking to Tom Castley uh, recently. He's got uh, yeah, SDRs working in strange places, far-flung places of the world. Um, and so, you know, I think this, what COVID has done is accelerated people's desire to have flexibility. And, and I think you've got to bake that into your benefits, into your ways of working, if you're gonna attract talent now. It's, it's a fundamentally different landscape in terms of what people are looking for. I love both of those answers because I have, I have a number of friends who work in sales roles for a lot of the big tech companies across Dublin and, and some of them in London. And all the all of them have the have the benefits of, you know, the the dinner, the lunch, the breakfasts, the the gyms and all the whole nine years thrown on top. And it's like, sometimes I look at these big companies throwing all of these things and, you know, whether pool tables or tennis balls or uh, beer or, 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 or whatever it is. And it's like, I don't know if that's going to keep, or, you know, if you take one of them away, it's, it, if that's going to really matter, because if you leave one tech company, you go to another, they have that. I don't know if that's a real pull for people, but being able to climb the ladder and, and see that you, that, that, the company that you work for actually does promote internally and you can climb that ladder. And then to the second point you made as well, there are two great reasons and, and things that you can leverage to, you know, assure that you have good retention and that you can attract really good talent as well. Yeah. And it's the same as what, what sales impact Academy is doing. You know, I, I'm a founding coach on, on the platform there, Paul yes. Pfeiffer, a very good, Paul Pfeiffer is a very good friend of mine. And, and I just think, you know, what they're offering to companies, companies should be biting the, the hand off really, because that, that, that way of learning is, is, is such a great way of, of upskilling and training reps, whether that be SDRs, or I teach, I teach you the AE course, Managing the Complete Sales Cycle. And I think that investment in team members is, you know, is only going to help them be better in their role, find more joy in their role. They're going to retain hopefully longer. You're going to attract more great people. So I, I think these types of investments in people are so important right now in terms of retaining talent. Talking about Paul, Paul was actually on this podcast probably six or seven months ago, and we spoke a little bit about you know a couple of the early mistakes he made in his career, him willingly talking about these, and one of them was that his previous businesses weren't subscription model. So if I look at your scale-wise, mm. is in the era of everything being subscription models, is that what your model is, or is it more uh, you take equity in the companies that come on and leverage your thing? Yeah, it's a bit of both. Well, it's more of the former than the latter. We're looking to move towards the, the equity model as well. Yeah. We're getting a lot of startups that are like, oh, you know, 
we're bootstrapped. We don't really have the cash. Can we give you some equity in exchange for some advice? And and so that is something we're we're looking at. But at the moment, it's a you know it's a simple model. They can either subscribe for a certain number of hours per month. Um, they can buy some one-off hours, but we kind of tend to to say, look, there's much more of a benefit in, in subscribing. There's a cost benefit, but there's also um, the fact that you know you're getting consistency over time. And it, and we found that coaching works really has impact when you're seeing consistent. Um, you're seeing that coach on a consistent basis, so two, three, four hours a month. And so we do have a recurring revenue model. Obviously, we would always uh, like customers to do more with us. And that's typically when they, they move down the fractional or the interim route. And we're moving away from hours uh, and into days. And that's where you know we, we, we tend to have a lot of impact because right now, no one can hire leaders. Um, you know, Having a gap in your business of nine to 12 months with no sales leader or no marketing leader can have a huge detrimental impact, especially when you're at series A or series B, the rate at which you need to be executing and the pace of, of change and you know, having that gap in your team is, is massive. So we just love to plug that gap, gap get a really experienced uh, leader in, could be for two or three days a week um, and, uh, and freeze up normally the founder or the CEO from that responsibility. But that person can then be really useful in terms of helping to hire that that next leader, that full-time replacement, and, and building some of the foundations, of course, within the company, you know, might be putting in a playbook or implementing a demand generation strategy. So, um, so yeah, we're finding that interim and fractional piece is, is super valuable at the moment. Final question for you, Tom. If you were Minister for Education and you could add one mandatory subject to the secondary school curriculum, what would it be and why? Wow, there's a lot there, <laughs> to be honest. Um, we could talk about that for a, for a while. Um, but I would say that I, I think understanding finance and, and um, investments and just generally how to manage your money. I, I read the, the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you know, when mm -hmm. I was in my early 20s. So, so I kind of I got, I got a window into that. But that was, that was kind of you know, way too late, I think, for me. But also people that haven't read that book, like where's the, where's the course, where's the curriculum that teaches you how to think about building wealth, how about how to save your money, how to invest your money. Um, and I think for, for me, it's something that I'm certainly trying to teach my kids at the moment. So I've got an eight-year-old and a 10-year-old. And, and so uh, they both have a, a stocks and shares ISA. Um, and it's amazing. It's amazing seeing them, their eyes light up. You know, when, if they put 50 pounds in, I'll put 50 pounds in. So I'll match their, I'll match their, their um, kind of uh, deposit into the bank. But then when they see it's gone up by 10%, 15%, there's a, just the realization, I think, that you can make your money work for you. You don't just have to work for money, right? Yeah. And, that's, and, and I think it's that kind of education that kids need earlier in their life. Um, and, and I think just the, the beauty of having your own business as well and, and something that I probably came to a little bit later in my career, but you know, building that equity in your own business um you know there's no one's ever going to get rich on paye right that's just not going to happen you've got to be very very lucky but i think building your own business is something that i'm trying to teach my kids to think about as well so yeah i would say financial management and investing is, is something that should be on the curriculum for sure great answer tom it's been a real pleasure having you on the show i'll leave links to everything we mentioned below your course in sales impact academy pavilion scale wise anything else you want to mention or include below just drop me a message afterwards and i'll make sure to leave a link but for now thanks for being my guest and i wish you continued success great stuff really enjoyed it thanks man